Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Michael Summers will join us to discuss imagined life. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. show are we alone in the universe the discovery of many exoplanets surrounding other stars has heightened that possibility and joining us today to discuss this issue is professor michael summers professor summers is a planetary scientist and professor of physics and astronomy at george mason university he has served on mission teams of several nasa space probes he's written numerous scientific and popular works on the subject including on exoplanets and along with co-author james Trafill, the new book imagined life a speculative scientific journey among the exoplanets in search of intelligent aliens, ice creatures, and supergravity animals. And Professor Summers, very pleased to have you back today on the Grok Science Show. Uh, thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here to chat about life under the worlds. Uh, well, it's certainly fascinating book, Imagined Life, which you talk about possibility of life on other planets. How possible is life on other planets? Well, we wrote the book to try to explain some of the recent discoveries that are being made in astronomy. And they're, they're really just amazing. We're, we're discovering whole new worlds at the rate of about two per day. I mean, think about that, whole new planets, many of them habitable, at least for simple Earth-like life. And we're also learning a lot about life on Earth. We know the laws of physics and chemistry that guide the formation and evolution of life. And so we, we decided to apply those laws of physics and chemistry, you know, what we know about them, to the environments on other planets and just to see what is possible for life elsewhere. And the results are kind of interesting. I mean, there's just it's almost like if you can Im- imagine something and it obeys the laws of physics and chemistry, it's probably out there somewhere. That's sort of a, an amazing thought. And I'm not sure we're all really ready for the surprises that we're going to encounter when, when we really start searching in detail for life on some of these planets. In a way, it echoes the point you made in your previous book on exoplanets, where if you could imagine the type of planet out there, it probably exists. What's constraint on life? Does it have to be typical carbon-based life that we're thinking about, or can we speculate on other kinds of life? Well, we don't know about any other kind of life, but the laws of physics tell us that complexity, chemicals that can be complex and that can carry information and transfer information like DNA and RNA are probably possible. Does that mean that life is possible that's not based upon carbon? We just don't know. But even if you just limit the speculation to life like us, the environments where we should be able to find habitable conditions or habitable places for life like us are just all over the place. Probably every star on average has several planets and probably an equal number of large moons. And probably, and this is just based upon extrapolation of what we've learned in our solar system and study of exoplanets, several of those objects are habitable, at least for simple life, like bacteria and maybe things even more complex like worms or fishes. 
And that's on every single star on average. There might be you know, one star that has no planets and one star that has 100 planets. But on average, you're talking about habitable conditions around just about every star. And that's for Earth-like life. If you broaden it to think about other possibilities, then the numbers, the, the likelihood of life may go up quite a lot. But we really don't know enough, really, to guide us in speculating about life that's not like us. It's, it's just We just don't know enough at this point. Much has been made of so-called Goldilocks zone around a star, which simply could support life like ours. Does it have to be limited to that kind of zone to get life like ours? Well, yeah, we talk a lot about the Goldilocks zone, the distances or the range of distances from a star where you could have a planet that has liquid water on its surface. But it's really a very conservative notion. I mean, we find liquid water underneath an ice crust on Europa and Ganymede and Callisto, three of the moons of Jupiter. And they're five times further away from the sun than the Earth is at far outside of the, the Goldilocks zone. And Titan, the large moon of Saturn, has a subsurface ocean of liquid water, which is habitable. And so the, the Goldilocks zone is a guide for really, truly Earth-like planets. But it's not a really good guide for habitability, habitable conditions, because they may extend far away from stars. Even planets that float around between the stars, what we call rogue planets, may have oceans, deep oceans of liquid water inside of them that are perfectly habitable. And, and that's just based upon, you know, again, extrapolation of what we've seen, the kind of planets we've seen that have water and that is liquid. So it's a, kind of an amazing notion that habitability is common just for Earth-like life. It seems to be a commonplace thing. In your book, you discuss how much we've learned about life at the extremes on planet Earth, what that tells us about the range of possible conditions where life could live. Yeah, I mean, we find at least bacteria, a type of bacteria we call extremophiles, that can live in, in all sorts of conditions on Earth. Just about every environment you find on Earth, you can find life. There are a few exceptions, like you, you, we don't find Earth-like life in lava, for instance, but we do find life living in acidic, hot, boiling pools of water around magma, around lava vents uh, on volcanoes. We find life in the deepest ocean, underneath the thickest glaciers, you know, even in the stratosphere. We find particles, haze-like particles that have bacteria on them. And even in artificial environments that are incredibly hostile, like the coolants around nuclear reactors, we find that there's types of bacteria that thrive in those conditions. The reality is we don't know how adaptable life on Earth is. Could life on Earth adapted to the environments on the moon or Mars or Venus? We don't know if that's possible or not. We just know that life as we understand it is incredibly adaptable. And so that gives us some, if not you know, solid guidance, it gives us some hope that if you have life that is complex, it can adapt to pretty extreme environments. But that's about all we can say about what Earth-like life tells us around other planets. We can look for the same environments that we have on Earth and see if there's Earth-like life there, but we're not sure how far beyond those types of environments we'll find life. Much has been made about our local neighborhood. You mentioned, of course, the moons of Jupiter. Europa, of course, has drawn a lot of attention. Whether life could exist there? Yeah, we're keenly interested in the moons of Jupiter. Europa, in particular, it has a, an ice crust, perhaps 10, 20 kilometers thick, that's floating upon a deep ocean of liquid water, salty water, 
that we think is at least 100 kilometers deep. And we know that it has a, a good energy source due to tidal gravitational interactions with the nearby moons and Jupiter. So it's the, it's the perfect place to simulate the deep oceans on Earth. And two of the other moons of Jupiter have deep oceans as well, liquid water. And so we definitely want to explore those places as soon as we can with spacecraft or robotic drones, say, that can explore surface vents that are leaking stuff out of the ocean. Those oceans are maybe even um, go through cracks in the ice and navigate around in the ocean looking for complex chemistry or, or biology. Because if we could find life on just one other object in our solar system, that would give us at least a, a little bit more optimism about life elsewhere. It doesn't prove anything, but a statistics of just one is really not good. You, you want more than that. And we have nearby options that we should explore that might just give us uh, better statistics. What about those faraway objects? How can we probe those for possible life? Yeah, that's the, the important question. It's the best question. It's not easy. I mean, when we look at say, Earth from a distance, you can ask the same question. What is it on the Earth that signifies that there's life here? Well, intelligent life, it's easy. You look for radio signals or leaking communications like, uh, or from radar or something like that. But if it's simple life, like bacteria, it's a little bit more difficult. You have to look for signatures of biology that's associated with the bacteria. And in our atmosphere, we have those kind of signatures. We have methane gas that comes about uh, as a byproduct of methane chemistry in the stomachs of cows and in rice paddies and in termite colonies and things like that. And methane in the atmosphere of the earth around abundant oxygen is not a stable situation. You have to have something that continually pumps the methane into the atmosphere because otherwise the methane will disappear in just dozens of years. So if we find that kind of combination in the atmosphere of a distant exoplanet, say methane and oxygen or methane and carbon dioxide, that's not a stable mix. And so we would know that there's something pumping the gas that has a short chemical lifetime, something is pumping that into the atmosphere, something at least like biology, if not biology itself. But it's a tough, tough question. It's hard to, it's hard to get proof of life looking just at the signatures or chemical signatures in the atmosphere of a distant planet. And there's a lot of interest and a lot of study going into that right now. There may be some combinations of chemicals or combinations of the isotopes of elements in the chemicals that may be proof of life elsewhere. But it's difficult. It's, um, it's not a solved problem by any means. Of course, there's the famous Drake equation, which is estimate of life in the universe. Do we have a, any better handle on getting an estimate of life in the universe? Well, yeah, I, I would say absolutely. And, and not all the parameters are up for grabs anymore. When I was a kid, they were. We, we knew basically the number of stars in the galaxy roughly. And we knew a little bit about how long stars lived, but we didn't know anything about how many planets there were per star or how many of those were Earth-like planets or how many of those were in the, the Goldilocks zone that we mentioned earlier. Now we know those things. And so we're slowly getting numbers for the, the different parameters uh, in the Drake equation. We still don't know the number of planets where life originates. And that's the, the big question about life elsewhere. You know, what does it take for life as we understand life to come about on a planet? We know that on Earth, pretty much as soon as the Earth had liquid water and was habitable, 
life appeared. And it didn't just appear sparsely. It, it must have been ubiquitous. It must have been all over the earth because we find it in pretty much or evidence of it in the oldest rocks and in, in pretty much all the oldest rocks that can contain signatures of life. We find signatures of life present on the early earth as soon as it became habitable. That tells us that the process that produced life on earth was a robust process. It happened quickly. And there are some people that think that life on earth may have originated many times, maybe dozens of times, but it happened earlier in Earth history when the environment of the Earth was still incredibly dangerous, when the Earth was being impacted by large asteroids every few thousand years, large enough to pretty much sterilize the, the Earth. So life may have originated and then wiped out, and then originated and wiped out maybe dozens of times before the last time was able to survive long enough to evolve into the complex things like you and I. But we don't know that parameter yet, um, and that's going to be the important one. We're making progress, but we're just not there yet. Part of the book, as you say, is a speculative look at possible life. What's the most speculative type of life you think you can imagine? Oh, well, we talk about life as we understand it, based upon carbon and DNA and evolution in most of the book. But we also speculate about other types of complexity. In, in other words, could you have life that's not based upon carbon? Could you have life that's based upon silicon? That's a common notion. We talk a little bit about that and what kind of environments might be conducive to, to that kind of life. But we even speculate about life that's not based upon elements per se at all. We talk about the possibility that electromagnetic interactions, electromagnetic fields in a metallic planet, a planet that may be cold or superconducting, might evolve to complex packets of energy inf information that evolve according to the laws of Darwinian evolution. And perhaps they even end up giving things that we wouldn't recognize as life, but could carry out all the functions that we associate with life, like reproduction and motion and interacting with the environment and controlling their insides and, and all that kind of stuff. And then we even go beyond that, you know, life that, that might not even be present on a planet. But, you know, as we get further and further away from, you know, the life that we understand it, of course, we're, we're more and more ignorant. So we have to think about things with a, a good measure of humility. There's certainly a lot of open questions out there. I'm curious, what do you think are the big ones that the future? Well, I, I think the big questions in exoplanet research would be, well, first of all, you've got to find planets that are as Earth-like as possible. Second, you've got to find a signature that will allow you to identify at least simple life, like bacteria. What is that signature? We call them biomarkers. That's a big area of research. And then, of course, understanding the origin of life on Earth and trying to understand how to extrapolate that to other environments on these planets. That's another big question. And then there's another question that we don't normally think about uh, in this field, but it's just as important, is what is the future of life in our universe? You know, what's going to happen to life on Earth in another 100,000, million, or billion years? You know, what's going to happen? Are we going to take over from evolution and control our, our own destiny? Or will something else happen that will control our destiny apart from us? And then there are planets out there that appear to be Earth-like that are billions of years older than the Earth. You know, what has happened on those planets? You know, once they get to maybe our level, even, even a civilization, and they've gone further, by billions of years, what happens to them? And then, of course, the, the biggest question of all is why haven't we seen them? Where are they? 
and and that's going to be the subject of our next book. We were just talking with Professor Michael Summers. He, together with Professor James Trifil, have written the new book, Imagined Life, A Speculative Scientific Journey Among the Exoplanets in Search of Intelligent Aliens, Ice Creatures, and Supergravity Animals. And Professor Summers, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. My pleasure. Anytime. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking. Oh, 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 oh,